I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 162, coming up on this week's show, Soccer Watching Behind Closed Doors, the Premier League breaks a new US TV record, a major soccer competition goes pay-per-view, how the coronavirus could change soccer as we know it, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, uh, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik and I are back in the... well, actually back on Skype this week. Last week, we had the uh, the good fortune of recording this podcast uh, in the studios at Tudu NA, which was a great experience. And uh, Kartik this week had a story about uh, Zona v- Football and uh, the Europa League and the UEFA Champions League. That's at worldsoccertalk.com. But Kartik, let's dive in. This is going to be a different episode than we've ever done before in terms of the subject material. Um, Six months ago, this is something we would have never thought of in terms of what's going on uh, with the coronavirus and the impact that it's having on our TV viewing experience. Uh, From this past week, not as much of an impact, slight impact here and there with uh, some games uh, being played behind closed doors. Uh, next week, on, uh, ongoing, it's going to have a more dramatic impact. Um, as recording this uh, Thursday morning, La Liga's announced the next two weeks are suspended. Serie A has already announced uh, basically the next month has been suspended. And we're expecting other leagues to, to announce uh, things accordingly. So by, by the time you listen to this podcast, it might be a little bit out of date, but uh, we're, we're going to keep it as fresh as possible. Kartik, before we j- dive into the whole coronavirus and everything that's been happening, um, U.S. women's national team. This, this is a big game on uh, Wednesday evening. They played uh, Japan in, in the final game of the tournament. Um, they went ahead and, and won it. Uh, they needed a draw to win the competition to be safe, but they, they won it. But I missed this game. I was watching, I can't remember what I was watching. I was watching something else, but um, so much going on. But what happened at halftime? 
So at halftime, uh, Seb Salazar, who's the uh, uh, commentator and who hasn't one of the few people in the U.S. media who on television who has consistently been willing to take on U.S. soccer, and and this goes back uh, to 2016, 2017. Uh, Seb and his uh, co-commentator Julie Foudy have a very frank and uh, uh, refreshing, honest discussion yeah. about U.S. soccer regarding uh, their. The depositions and what has what we've now found from the discovery phase of the U.S. Women's National Team equal pay lawsuit, uh, equality lawsuit, I should say, not necessarily equal pay, um, that uh, it has, has made the rounds the last few days, and it has been absolutely beyond damaging to the brand of U.S. soccer. This looks like an organization, uh, I, and I think most of our listeners would agree, that looks not only misogynistic, but just completely tone deaf as to the realities of society in in uh, the 2015 to 2020 time period, as well as the actual realities of soccer in this country or in, in this region. Um, and, and quite frankly, Chris, I mean, one of the things I pointed out the last few days since all of this broke was that the the general uh, excuse making we see about the U.S. men's national team from uh, Federation apologists, MLS apologists, and people who uh, defend the men's national team at all uh, at all turns all ended up in these legal pleadings. So that's why I know it wasn't just all oh, the lawyers took it in a certain direction, which is the which is the fallback position now. It's these are the same talking points that had been thrown at people like me for years when I criticized the men's national team performances, and they've ended up in talking points in in a deposition in this lawsuit. So Salazar and Fowdy go after Cordero, Carlos Cordero, who's the president of U.S. Soccer, and um, and U.S. Soccer's attorneys. By full time, so we hit stoppage time, 90th minute. Uh, I think there were two or three minutes of stoppage time. It's 3-1 U.S. at this point. Uh, it's been a good game. Japan has played well, but the U.S. goals came mostly off of defensive errors from Japan, uh, which the U.S., in the ruthless fashion they play, pounced on. Cordero, uh, Salazar's handed a statement by the producer he hasn't seen the statement. He reads it on air, Chris, mm-hmm. for the first time. And Julie Foudy, who, is, as I mentioned, is his co-commentator, just sits and says, I'm going to take this in for a minute or two, Seb. And then when she regained her composure, she was very diplomatic. Well, not diplomatic. She was very professional, I would say, uh, in her response to Cordero's incredulous statement, which was that these depositions, what we've seen in the news, they don't reflect the values of U.S. soccer as an organization. When, of course, what I've just said two minutes ago, Chris, and and everyone else is saying similar things, including Julie Foudy, it absolutely does reflect the values of U.S. soccer and the way that they've conducted themselves over the course of the last decade or more. So um, So absolutely incredulous. That statement made matters worse. And the fact that that statement was given before full time of this match leads me to believe potentially U.S. soccer panicked at the halftime discussion on the air of one of their rights holders and uh, decided that they were going to try and, 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 and correct the record from their perspective without properly vetting the statement and it's just caused more trouble right and and while i have complete respect for sepp salazar julie foudy espn and many others within the industry personally i, I don't think it, it was the half time i mean I, I didn't see it but I don't, I don't think it was the half time uh kind of um kind of a, uh, analysis or, or um, against Codero that uh, went ahead and caused Codero and U.S. Soccer to issue the statement to 
essentially apologise for some of the uh, offending remarks that have been made uh, in the last week's uh, court filing. What what I think it, it was, Kartik, was Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola had earlier in the day had yes. uh, gone out and, and said, hey, we're, we're, we're not in agreement with these things that are being said. This this does not... Uh, this is not uh, this is not the way that we feel, and as we saw back even with uh, FIFA and Sepp Blatter, it was once the sponsors started pulling out and sponsors started um, saying things publicly. That was the end, the beginning beginning of the end for uh, Sepp Blatter. Carlos Cordero, this could be the beginning of the end for him in terms of uh, really you got Coca Cola. If there were other sponsors that came out too that said, "Hey, we're not really happy right now." with U.S. Soccer uh, uh, Federation in terms of the things they're saying, in terms of all these lawsuits they're involved in. It's a bad look for the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, no matter if you agree with some of the things that that they're doing or or disagree. It's a complete mess. They're very disorganized, poor communication skills. And this is not a good look for soccer. But going back to the show and what we focus on, which is the the TV coverage. Go ahead. On Coca-Cola, you, you're probably right. Now that I think about it, there is a historic precedence for this in U.S. history, which is 1964. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. gets awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Coca-Cola, as I think probably everybody knows, is from Atlanta. Yes. Um, Martin Luther King lives in Atlanta. Atlanta is at the time in the capital of Georgia, which is a very conservative uh, segregationist state run by segregationist Democrats. Coca-Cola, when the city, when when Martin Luther King won this Nobel Peace Prize, uh, the city of Atlanta was not going to honor uh, Martin Luther King. Coca-Cola threatened the mayor and the city commission and basically said, uh, you know, if you don't honor him, we can pick up and leave and move our headquarters to New York or wherever, Chicago, wherever. Uh, And it was such a strong statement from Atlanta's largest employer, private employer, that they relented and they had a big uh, banquet honoring Martin Luther King. And it ended up being kind of the segue to integrate the city of Atlanta in in a more meaningful way. So Coca-Cola has for, uh, and this is a similar issue, right? This This is a similar equality issue. Uh, has for many years taken a strong, aggressive stand on this and are willing to uh, stand up and be counted. So uh, since you mentioned that, I, uh, my, my mind turned to the 1960s and realized, yeah, social movements Coca-Cola usually is at the forefront of, and um, they probably, you're right, they probably reached out to Cordero and said, this is unacceptable. In, uh, we're going to pull our sponsorship or do, do something or threaten to pull it. In, in 2015, Coca-Cola uh, called for Sepp Blatter to be, uh, to, to, to be released, to be uh, effectively uh, to step down. And and that's the power that a sponsor, a global sponsor, has uh, with federations and with uh, kind of confederations, where they they're, they're pumping in millions of dollars of uh, sponsor dollars into organizations. And if they don't agree with what's happening, that can have a massive impact. And, and for them, Coca Cola to come out publicly. I mean, the story uh, Wednesday was on the front page of the um, BBC. I mean, it, it's it went global. So. So I, I think it was definitely ESPN having the game live, um, having that exposure. You mean if the U.S. Soccer Federation was going to, to say anything and, and apologize, that was probably the the, the great ve- the, the perfect ve- vehicle to do so on, just in terms of getting the word out there. Um, but it, it, it's still I don't know. It, it's still it hasn't resolved anything. It hasn't. It, it might have. Uh, 
maybe g- given uh, Coca-Cola some some um, some time or some something to think about in terms of uh, at least they're coming out to apologize for those comments that have been made. But uh, what a mess, Kartik. But but um, so speaking of what a mess. I mean, this uh, Kartik. Can you remember before? I mean, obviously before this last week or so. Uh, either attending a game or watching a game that's been played uh, behind closed doors, um, just in your history of watching soccer on TV or, uh, in the past? Yeah, I, I've actually uh, had the privilege of, of attending a couple of closed-door uh, friendlies that were weird. So we there was a friendly between... Um, of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and New York Red Bulls one year. Now, one year we opened the stadium very late uh, when those two teams played, and, and uh, Thierry Henry by that time was with the Red Bulls. So uh, three or 4,000 people showed up, shockingly, with like 48 hours' notice. I think you remember that, Chris. Yep. But there was another year uh, we, the Strikers, played the Red Bulls with an empty uh, – uh, in a closed-door friendly at Lockhart Stadium when it was raining. And I had uh, told – the supporters group, hey, you know, it's closed door, you can come. And you have this huge stadium, 20,000 seats. I think the, uh, obviously it's now been rebuilt for the MLS team. But uh, at the time, it, actually 18,000 seats empty for, you know, a game between an MLS team and an NASL team. It was very, very weird, even though it wasn't due to any virus or anything. It was because uh, the Red Bulls were playing in the um, CONCACAF uh of CONCACAF Champions League, and they, they wanted a high-level friendly before they went to Central America or Mexico, and they didn't want anyone to scout it, right? Mm-hmm. So we closed doors, closed the doors, and, and played the game. Um, so that was my only my only experience within a big stadium. I've been to some other closed-door friendlies that have been hold in sm- held in smaller venues. I've remembered watching some games in Europa League because, where uh, the stadium was closed due to racism or other things. Uh, however, I think... Um, this, this, it, it was surreal watching uh, the Derby Day Italia on Sunday yep. um, w- w- with closed doors. Then uh, PSG Dortmund was, uh, 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 I thought, just as incredibly weird. Although, you know, Chris, I, I have to say, um, you could you can debate whether this, this helps or hurts teams because I, I feel like PSG is such a poison chalice now. Not having the crowd there may have helped them play really well against Dortmund um, because yep. – there wasn't that 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 external pressure, but we're entering an era, and I, I want to mention this before we we move on to the other news. I think we're entering an era where we're going to need to get used to this uh, for the next month, two, three, and there are solutions that are going to have to uh, uh, have to be made. I I, I think um, the chances are a lot of things are going to get postponed or canceled, like Serie A and La Liga. There are other things, that other areas where matches will be played, but we're going to have Schalke Dortmund, which um, that is when it's going to really hit home. That's this weekend. That's being played in front of clo- uh, wow. played, yeah. And that's, well, that's, that, that's two a- of the teams with the big, most passionate fan bases in the world um, playing in a derby. Yeah, well, that that's a whole other story because that game's not on FS1. It's not on FS2. That that one's on Fox Soccer Plus. So to be honest with you, I think very few people would be watching that from the US anyway. Um, I mean, you would, I would probably too, but um, I mean, very few people get Fox Soccer Plus, but that's a whole other story. But 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 that's the thing though, Kartik, is that watching the games, I mean, the Atalanta against Valencia, the PSG Dortmund game, um, the Serie A games over, the, over this past weekend, um, I didn't get a chance to watch. But for me, part of the game of soccer, a large part of the game of soccer is the fans and and without those fans in the stadium it's not the same 
without the atmosphere, without the singing, without the banter, without all those things. It's amazing how much of an impact the fans have on the viewing experience. So whether it's flags waving, whether it's TIFOs, whether it's just uh, crowd shots and, and bringing you into the game, making you feel that that these people are just like you, you could be there too. It, it does make a, an impact psychologically when you're watching a game. It pulls you closer into the broadcast. Without that, and I know you were mentioning too, Kartik, that we we have to get used to that. I don't know. I, I, to me, I mean, even even some of these big games that are going to be behind closed doors, I will watch them. But I think I think I'm the, I'm the rarity. I think I think most people would not watch these games unless it's maybe a Champions League game. Um, and the issue is is that where we're at today with soccer globally is if any games are being played behind closed doors. It's really for contractual reasons. I, I don't think most of the players want to be there. Um, I, I mean, this, the, the clubs don't want to p- play some of these games. I think they'd rather say, let's suspend these games. Let's take a break. And, and then let's, let's come back once we know that everything is all clear, however long that's going to take. But I, I, just, I just think that be, uh, playing behind closed doors is not a good move unless unless it's... Unless these games like next week in the Champions League, and they have to figure out a way just to finish those games, get them over and done with, and then rest, and then take a break, suspend the Champions League or Europa League for a little time until we know what's going on. What do you think, Kartik? You know, I go back and forth on this. I mean, I think that there's definitely uh, some sense that you don't want to watch matches in front uh, in, that are that don't have the atmosphere and don't have. Um, the, uh, the 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 energy from the crowd I mean, I mean let's face it the the the, the, uh, um, the leagues we say we like the best or at least I say I like the best are the Premier League and Bundesliga and those have much more vibrant crowd interactions than La Liga or Serie A or Liga A usually and if I prefer watching a team in in uh, in uh, uh, La Liga, it's Valencia, because Valencia, other than, obviously, Tuesday, Champions League, mm-hmm. uh, ha- 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 uh, has the best uh, best home support of, of top teams in Spain. And then when we talk about Major League Soccer, I'm always saying, well, Portland and Seattle is what I enjoy watching, and it's because of the crowds, and it's because of the energy, and it's because of the en- enthusiasm. Um, this all having been said, I think there is going to be an absence of um, entertainment options. Uh, you, you, people, we're, we're entering an era of social de- distancing. Uh, the president of the United States says it's, it's a temporary era. I think it may be a little more than temporary, maybe several months. So at some point, you're going to run out of Netflix shows and, and uh, other entertainment options, and you're going to turn back to football. And you're just going to have to adjust your viewing preferences to football or whether if you're a basketball fan, let's say the NBA resumes at at this moment when we're recording. Let's remind people they've suspended the season. I think they'll resume it at some point. They'll just run longer. Right. It'll just run into the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that we're going to adjust our our viewing preferences, Chris. I I agree with you that I think most football fans um, aren't like us and won't geek out and will just be like, hey, we don't want to watch it. But I think. You might have no choice because there, there won't be other entertainment options. Now, the question for me, Chris, is once we're through this, does it change the, the personal preferences of viewers of soccer? And that's something we'll have to explore as we get there. 
Yeah, to me, at the end of the day, Kartik, uh, it's not so much about the viewing preferences or what what we're demanding, or we the soccer fans, or we the viewers are wanting. It really is down to the leagues and the clubs, and and then based on what their decisions are, then then we have to react accordingly. So, for example, like I mentioned, Serie A, La Liga suspended the leagues for for a few weeks at least. Uh, you look at the Premier League that, as of recording, has not uh, they, they postponed one game, um, but uh, have not said anything in terms of uh, suspending the league. Well, um, they put, they postponed the Arsenal Man City game. Yeah, but th- but that was because of an outbreak from the the, the Olympiacos owner and who had come into contact with some of the Arsenal. Right. I should mention that that same owner is the owner of Nottingham Forest, and right. he was at the Forest Millwall game, which was one of the games I watched this week. So yeah. um, I think that in the Football League, we're, we're, it's probably coming, maybe even quicker than the Premier League. But, yeah. but go ahead. But what, what, what I'm saying, though, too, is, is really what this comes down to, just like with anything, all these discussions, even with the, at the U.S. Uh, women's national team and the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation uh, and the Premier League and the coronavirus and, and these games being played behind closed doors, it all comes down to money. It all comes down to revenue. It all, all, all comes down to the business side of things. And, and for a La Liga or Serie A to go ahead and suspend, uh, yes, it's going to hurt them. Um, but Major League Soccer, I mean, uh, that, uh, and actually the Premier League too, um, I mean, most of the revenue that uh, comes in from the Premier League is from TV revenue. So that is revenue that's already in the bank that, uh, yes, they have to go ahead and fulfill the uh, contractual obligations in terms of having those games played in order to meet uh, the contracts, I mean, stipulation of 380 games a season and these times, etc., Major League Soccer, though, Kartik, as of recording again, um, are focusing on uh, prevention in terms of having sanitizers at games, etc. Most of their revenue is based on ticket revenue. So, yes, they have sponsorships, uh, which are a large portion, too. But a lot of it is based on, on game day, match day revenue. TV revenue at this point is still not as big as all the other leagues uh, out there, all the other major leagues out there. Um, so MLS really is in a tough spot because if they suspend the league for three months, say, that is going to have a huge impact on on the America's top flight league in in this country. So Kartik, what do you think? I mean, I, I mean, to me, yeah. you, you you think that MLS, especially with the NBA suspending the league, that in the next twenty four hours, that uh, Major League Soccer will say, okay, we're suspending the league too. But for them, it it has bigger ramifications. Yeah, and, and USL also. I think USL, um, there are a number of USL teams that are in uh, areas that have been impacted by the coronavirus. And, and uh, uh, for MLS, so we have this game in Fort Lauderdale that I know you're going to. I won't be going to the, the season opener or the home opener for, for Inter, uh, David Beckham's team in Fort Lauderdale. Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, came to Fort Lauderdale specifically to discuss coronavirus on Saturday. So... It's strange that MLS now, as we record this again, we're recording this Thursday morning U.S. time, uh, has not re- has not at least postponed that si- that game because there was a reason he came specifically to Fort Lauderdale. We've had a death here. I live in Broward County. We've had a death in Broward County. We've had uh, a couple of other cases in Broward County. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I was on TalkSport earlier this week, uh, Chris, to discuss the potential impact in the football league, and specifically in League One and League Two, not in the championship where there's uh, more TV revenue and not in the uh, – um, although actually the TV revenue is, is the same, but uh, in League One and League Two where those clubs are especially dependent on ticket revenue. Um, and if if uh, the mm-hmm. if England closes doors, the football league has to uh, play the rest of the season with closed doors. I hadn't really thought about MLS and USL until I had that discussion on air uh, on TalkSport, obviously an English broadcaster, about what happens in lower divisions in England. Because I think it's very similar to what would happen here in the U.S. with uh, all our football leagues or all our soccer leagues because uh, we are overly dependent on ticket revenue. And TV uh, is not a big portion of the revenue. Sponsorship uh, for USL teams isn't a big portion of the revenue. It's mostly ticket revenue. And what came out of the discussion on TalkSport was that League One, League Two will be disproportionately hurt. Those clubs will be put at a competitive disadvantage, maybe not against each other, uh, obviously, because they're all in the same boat, but against uh, championship clubs and Premier League clubs uh, in in the football landscape for maybe a number of years after, because they're going to have to climb out of this. That's the same situation, I think, with the clubs here in the U.S. So will they hesitate because of that? Yes. Is that responsible? No. So they have to think about the PR hit about continuing to play. Mm -hmm. So optically now it becomes very difficult for MLS because the NBA has suspended uh, play. Uh, NCAA has gone behind closed doors, which is essentially – Cutting out ticket revenue. Yeah. Now we know the the the, the tournament, uh, and as someone who's been a college basketball fan, I, I for years now the tournament has been more TV driven than than um, than uh, uh, ticket revenue driven. But still, and then they're in a sport where there are games being canceled or playing being played by closed uh, behind closed doors all the time. Now uh, we talked about Dortmund Schalke, but then the three games we mentioned uh, Atalanta and Valencia, etc. Uh, that viewers who Many of the viewers who watch Major League Soccer have already seen this. So I think PR-wise, they're in a very tough spot. I uh, what, It's Thursday morning. By the time um, you, you, people listen to this, it might be dated. But I think they're going to have to pull the trigger in the next 24 hours and, and at the very least go behind closed doors, if not uh, start just canceling games. Yeah, and, and so far they've um, postponed two games, which were the um, in a couple of weeks from now, the San Jose and Seattle home games. But that was because of um, local governments saying, "Okay, we can't have mass gatherings in in those areas," and I mean, there's no there's no games, sports games, for example, going on. So that was Major League Soccer reacting to that, where they're basically forced into postponing those games. Um, they may play some of these games uh, behind closed doors. But, I mean, there goes the ticket revenue, especially a lot of um, clubs, too, with walk-up ticket sales. This is going to have a dramatic impact on Major League Soccer. And and it's the worst possible timing, especially with the upcoming TV deal that's going to... They've already had discussions, but the bidding uh, won't start until next year. But this, this season, more than any other for Major League Soccer, is a pivotal season in order for them to go ahead and strengthen the TV numbers and show that there is an uptick and there is growth and that there's a a renewed um, optimism and enthusiasm about Major League Soccer. And we saw from the opening weekend of Major League Soccer TV ratings, which, which which were good. They were strong. Second week, okay, nothing, nothing special really. And now we're going into the third week where there's going to be a lot of question marks about, um, you mean, 
Are these games even going to be played? If they are played, are they going to be play, played behind closed doors? If they are played behind closed doors, does that um, lower the, the TV viewing? And I, I think it does. I think for the most people, most soccer fans are going to be less interested in watching a game where there's no one in the stadium because you do feel disconnected. You do feel like... I mean, why? Why should I continue watching this game when there's there's you want to have that even if it's through television or streaming, you want to have that human to human contact. You want to be feel that you belong. And when you're watching something inside an empty stadium, you don't get that at all. The other thing, Kartik, I would mention too is that um, we have to think about the TV uh, uh, networks too because. You look at, say, BN Sports just as one example, and we know that they've been going through tough financial times. Uh, they've lost their two biggest uh, distributors uh, a couple of years ago, uh, DirecTV and Comcast. So they're losing millions uh, in potential revenue that they, could, they would have gotten otherwise. And you look at subscriber fees and people subscribing to BN Sports. Is, but when you have no La Liga for two weeks, maybe potentially more, do people, do consumers think, okay, well, maybe maybe I'll cancel BN Sports? Because other than La Liga, I mean, what is what, what else is on BN Sports of value? And, I mean, yes, some people watch Ligue 1, but we've seen the numbers for that that have been really, really low. Um, and, and not just BN Sports. You can look across all the TV networks. You can look at NBCSN if they go ahead and suspend the Premier League season. So, are people going to tune in as much as they would have done in the past? No, because what's on? They might have some classic footage. They might have some interviews. They might have some uh, basically evergreen content that they'll show. But people are going to watch those live sports far less than what they did before. So, th- so this whole coronavirus has huge ramifications across the entire industry at the league uh, level, at, at the club level at the broadcaster level, and at the fan level, this could really, really disrupt the entire soccer industry. Yeah, Chris, I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, as we're monitoring this uh, coronavirus situation, and we're actually... I'm watching a lot of cable news again. I know I pledged earlier in the week to not watch cable news, but then events overcome you. Uh, I'm noticing CNN, uh, a lot of conversation about the NBA, a lot of conversation about Donald Trump's response, uh, et cetera. Uh, BBC, very similar from a more global perspective. But what I found interesting is this morning watching the BBC, their ticker is mostly coronavirus related. But when they get to sport, um, and as, as we're recording this, we're getting to sport right now. Um, they talk about coronavirus and the NBA coronavirus and La Liga. Then they turn to Megan Rapino, and consistently every five to seven minutes, it's looping through. Uh, Rapino does not buy apology from U.S. soccer president. So one, I think as coronavirus shuts down sports, we're going to see more conversation about topics like this. And two, I think it just reminds us this fight uh, that the U.S. women have embarked on with U.S. soccer over equality is not just being watched in the U.S. among soccer fans. It's being watched globally among people who follow sport and follow maybe politics as well. It's uh, pretty fascinating to me because I I have noticed also the U.K. press the last uh, six to nine months has been all over covering the U.S. women's national team's uh, fight, uh, as I'm sure you've noticed too, Chris. So Mm -hmm. it's a it's a big story, and I think we're going to – the timing is very bad for U.S. soccer now because things are shutting down elsewhere. And now this gives more people more time to talk about it, uh, not just here in the U.S., but in the U.K. and, and everywhere else as well. 
Yeah, especially after winning She Believes Cup and, and of course, the the morale level among fans uh, supporting the U.S. women's national team, uh, especially after you know, recent World Cup wins, is probably at an all-time high. And at the same time, the morale level or confidence level in U.S. soccer is, I wouldn't even say probably, is definitely at an all-time low uh, both on the men's side and on the way that they've handled the whole women's situation, and like you said, Kartik, this is um, this is worst timing possible for you, for the U.S. Soccer Federation because um, if there are soccer shows happening in the next week, or ESPN FC does a daily show, right? So if there's nothing to talk about in terms of some of the games being suspended from Serie A, La Liga, potentially other leagues too. What else do you talk about? Well, you've got, say, a good 30 minutes where you can focus in a deep dive into all of these uh, legal issues and the both sides and the arguments. Anyway, I can see this going on for a, a while, Kartik. Now, Kartik, before we head on to the news, I do want to mention a couple of things in terms of some of the games I watched this past week. Of course, I don't know, 15, 16 games, lots of games from around the world, different leagues, different channels, etc. You mentioned before that the Forest-Millwall game that was on the Friday, that was one yeah. of my games of the week. Uh, Millwall, just uh, a hugely uh, impressive display in terms of uh, going 3-0 up uh, by halftime uh, at, uh, at the city ground for Nottingham Forest. Uh, Kevin Keating's on the commentary. I really enjoyed this one. Millwall with a very... Um, Route one football uh, style, which really, I mean, just uh, a, a huge pre- pressure on on uh, on Forest in terms of the style that Millwall was, was playing. I enjoyed this one, but 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 just moving into a couple of things too, Kartik. Um, the Man United, well, Man City game. Uh, this one, I, I didn't watch the game on television, but I listened to the match radio commentary uh, on Premier League Live from Talk Sport, and I've mentioned this in, in the last few weeks too, but. Talk Sports radio commentary is so poor. Uh, in this match, you had Paul Parker co-commentating, and um, the the way that they commentate games is that they're call. It seems to be that they're calling it off the television set, so you hear lots of ah, like kind of like where the ball almost goes into the net, but they're not describing what's happening. It's almost like they're reacting to you mean a near miss or a shot that was blocked or whatever it was, but for the radio viewer who does not have access to the television set, I don't know what's going on. And worst case, the, the worst example of this was near the end of the game, uh, the commentator mentioned that um, Edison was coming off, uh, came off his line, and Paul Parker, uh, and, and then United scored. Paul Parker, the co-commentator, went further by saying something to the effect of what Edison uh, did just then is criminal by doing what he did. But he didn't describe what he did. He, there was no ex- explanation of uh, why it was criminal, uh, criminal, or even what it was that he did that was criminal. And so, for the radio viewer or the radio listener, like myself, I'm left stranded. I'm like, okay, well, what happened? Yes, he came off his line, but did he come off his line too fast, or did he even go? Came off his line and went to the side, or did he did he slip, or w- whatever happened? For the radio viewer, I had no idea, and and I just left. You know, I was at the end of the game, and I felt like I missed something. I, I felt left out. And can't take. I watched the DC United into Miami game. Uh, this one on uh, Univision and Tudo Na. Oh my God, the, the 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 camera positions at Audi Field for DC United are horrible. It looks like you're watching this game from outer space. I mean, the the players 
uh, you know, on the field from the camera cameras, they look like like tiny little figures running around the pitch. Um, again, this is not Univision's fault. This is not Tuduene's fault. This is just the way they designed the stadium and the way, where they have the cameras positioned. But really, really uh, not a good look uh, for the TV viewer. And, and again, too, it makes you feel that you're not part of the experience. It makes you feel disconnected and uh, did not work well for me at all. Um, actually, my favorite game, game of the week, Kartik, it was probably Liverpool against Atleti. Uh, just a really, really good game in terms of uh, uh, Atleti, very almost like Italian-minded, very defensive, you mean a low block, and Liverpool just going at it. And uh, Atleti with a fantastic performance in this one, pulling off a, a huge victory at Anfield on a Champions League night. But what I will mention, Kartik, is that um, one of the things, and, and I, I love English commentators, but one of the things that always uh, leaves me with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth is when they're commentating the Champions League and it's an English team. And if the other team's winning, which in this case, Atleti, I mean, what, what an incredible result this was. Um, that that's, you, can, you can notice, uh, it's a very noticeable in terms of their, their enthusiasm level. In this case, it was Clive Tilsley dropped a, a huge portion, huge amount when it was Atleti winning this game. It looked yeah. like Atleti was going to win it. The excitement level came out of the broadcast. Even when there was a goal score that was disallowed at the end of uh, the 90 or in the end of stoppage time of regular time, uh, the, he, he was uh, – now you could say he may have been hesitating with the call because uh, of the reactions of some of the Atleti players. Uh, but it was just this, oh, Atleti smash and grab, they win. And then yeah. uh, the goal was disallowed. But then, yeah, I, I, I sensed it towards the throughout the extra time, period. And I have to – Go back to last year, I believe it was, uh, when uh, the English press jumped on Gary Lineker uh, with incredible uh, uh, ferocity because he said he was rooting for Barcelona against an English club, he being a former Barcelona player. Um, And and that left a very poor taste in my mouth. And I think I began to scrutinize English commentary of games involving English clubs in Europe versus non-English clubs a little more at that moment. And, and I noticed it yesterday with Tilsley. Uh, I've noticed it a couple times this season, actually. Yeah. Or a couple times since the Lineker, uh, Lineker was called out for that, which, and, uh, and, I, I, which bothers me. And, and it's not Clive. I mean, Clive was just the example in this one match. It, it's pretty much almost all English football commentators is when your English team is winning in the Champions League, that level of enthusiasm, that level of excitement goes up, you mean, to a nine or 10. But when it's uh, Atleti, um, you mean, winning at Anfield, which is a huge, huge victory, um, you mean, and some great goals, some, some great displays by Atleti, that enthusiasm level is probably at, like, say, a five or a six. It definitely drops. And if Liverpool had bounced back towards the end of this game and scored maybe a, a late goal to pull it back, you can imagine that their excitement levels would have gone up higher too. But in many ways, it's it. Yes, it it does seem natural for an English commentator to commentate that way. Uh, it's just for the world feed and for the world audience listening in. Is that if you're if you're an Atleti fan, you feel kind of kind of almost like, come on, guys, this is this is a big victory. Let's get excited. Uh, I can understand why. Uh, Clive would be uh, less than enthusiastic with Atleti winning, but just for the the, the global v- uh, audience, uh, it's it's it could have been better uh, by having somebody that Clive or whoever it was um, 
had more enthusiasm for you mean the underdog winning in, in this case. Kartik, uh, before we move on to the TV streaming news, any, anything else you want to uh, point out from your, your TV viewing and watching this past week? No, I mean, I thought, obviously, from an entertainment standpoint, the best match of the, uh, of the week was Valencia and Atalanta, two of attack-minded teams. Atalanta, I have said repeatedly, I think, for the last however long, is the best team to watch in Europe. And I'm going to miss watching them for the next month, right, yeah. uh, at least. Uh, so that, that's, that, that I would add to the matches you mentioned. Uh, Forrest and, uh, and Millwall was, uh, was a, a phenomenal performance. Great first half, really, to watch. And then uh, I would include Liverpool of Letty and that. So I think we have basically the same games that, that we enjoyed this week. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. And uh, a long-awaited announcement has come through, and we finally heard uh, the official confirmation from NWSL uh, for their league this season and, and their TV contract and their TV schedule. It finally came out, Kartik. Yeah, so... Um Opening weekend of the NWSL season, assuming it proceeds as, as planned. We have to say that about everything now. Uh, there will be a match, CBS Over the Air. So that will be the first Over the Air CBS broadcast of soccer that I, I believe since the, the 1970s uh, when they showed the NASL. Uh, that that uh, weekend, there will also be two more uh, matches available on CBS All Access. And throughout the course of the season, there will be matches available on CBS All Access and on Twitch, which, of course, is a streaming platform. As well, there will be several matches, basically a match a week, more or less, or a match every two weeks uh, on CBS Sports Network. The NWSL Championship game will be, which has been nomadic, right? It's gone from Life, Fox to Lifetime to, uh, to ESPN, uh, ESPN2, excuse me, uh, will now be shown on CBS over the air. So that's very, very exciting. Uh, great breakthrough for women's football, women's soccer uh, on uh, network television in the United States. Again, if things proceed as planned, which is a big if with everything I think going on in the world. So this one is a little bit tricky, though, Kartik, because so um, so like you mentioned, the, the opening game of the season on CBS and then the the finals on CBS. Uh, they're expecting a few more games to be announced on CBS too throughout the season, but CBS is available for you know over the air uh, or even if uh, on streaming services, you know, whether it's Fubo or Hulu, Hulu uh, plus live TV or AT&T now, um, YouTube TV, etc. So CBS is, is very accessible. The vast majority of games are going to, going to be on CBS all access, which is, uh, CBS's, um, uh, proprietary, uh, streaming service. And I think that's about $10 a month. So uh, and also with uh, the UEFA Champions League going to CBS All Access beginning in the summer of 2021, um, we're going to be using CBS All Access more and more uh, than we have done in the past for sure. Um, and then some of the games are on CBS Sports Network, uh, which is less available, but you can get that through streaming services such as Fubo and Hulu plus Live TV and others. The, the, the challenge is, though, Kartik, is that CBS All Access does not have access to every single NWSL game. So in order to, Correct. So in order to get all the games, you would have to... I mean, again, it depends if you're a cord cutter or if you're a cable TV subscriber. Um, you may have to look at your, the plan that you have in place and go, OK, does it have CBS Sports Network? Uh, yes, it will have CBS. But then you have to go ahead and get CBS All Access in addition to whatever you have currently. And All Access is also showing the matches that are on CBS over the year, those two matches. But I, um, and I have the release from NWSL, right? And I, it, from what I could surmise, they're not showing the matches on CBS Sports Network. 
correct 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 yeah yeah so there's a separate so yeah so good good news but you definitely want to do some planning if you do want to watch or have access to all those games uh, beforehand just to make sure that uh, you can get those second piece of news this week Kartik and this is coming in um, I'll have a full report at worldsoccertalk.com in the next 24 hours that'll go into a lot more detail but coming up is the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers which begin in um, near the end of March uh, involve all all the nations from from the um, southern he- hemisphere in South America and competing in effectively a, a tournament to go ahead and uh, to qualify to see who qualifies for the the 2022 World Cup. Now there's always a possibility of a postponement. I think uh, Conmebol has asked uh, FIFA if it's possible to postpone these games uh, due to the uh, the coronavirus outbreak. But whether that happens or not, what we, what I found out um, just now, just before recording this podcast, is that the rights to the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers have been purchased by a company in the United States, and they will only be available via pay-per-view. So pay-per-view, which seems like it's going back in time, into the 90s, when we had to watch a lot of games on pay-per-view. But for the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers, each game is going to, is going to be $30 each. Oh, man. Yeah. So I think they will offer some type of plan where if you want to subscribe and, and get access to all of the World Cup qualifiers, there will be a discount. Um, and there might be What about one for, let's say I'm a, a fan of uh, Paraguay and I want to watch all their matches. Is there 30, a niche 30, match? No, $30 each. Oh, so, my goodness. I know, I know. So, so yeah, again, we'll have more details on, at worldsoccertalk.com uh, in the next 24 hours. By the time you listen to this podcast, you'll probably, it'll probably be up there. Uh, but anyway, that's late-breaking news, and I think we have the exclusive on that one. Kartik, moving on to the next news item. This is something that came up in your news column. Uh, we didn't get a chance to mention it last week when we were recording at uh, the Tudu NA studio, but uh, a piece of information in regards to um, coverage of soccer in the U.S., yeah, so Arla White, who's the lead uh, uh, commentator for NBC's Premier League coverage, will be coming uh, to the United States during the summer. Uh, again, if things proceed as planned, uh, have to uh, give that caveat with everything in coronavirus era, uh, to be the lead commentator for the Chicago Fire uh, the MLS team, which is uh, in, going in, involved in a massive reboot right now. They, they're moving back to Soldier Field after uh, 15 years uh, in the suburbs, 15, more than 15 years in the suburbs. And uh, uh, Arlo White is uh, going to be the, the play-by-play voice. Now, he did that for the Seattle Sounders, remember, um, uh, before um, um, he moved to NBC. And he moved to NBC to cover MLS, to call MLS games initially. And then, obviously, they got the Premier League rights. Uh, NBC then dropped uh, MLS, went back to Fox, and uh, uh, he's called the Premier League based in the U.K. since. So uh, he has a lot of experience with Major League Soccer and uh, will be coming back during the summer to call some Major League Soccer matches. Yeah, I think for Carlo, this is a better fit for him in regards to calling Chicago Fire games uh, in terms of the uh, commentating style with Major League Soccer, which is a lot more talkative, which is a lot more going off in different tangents. And I think that would be something that probably be more accept- acceptable to uh, a Chicago Fire or MLS audience. Um, having said that, though, too, I mean, it's going to be limited in terms of the, the number of games he's going to be doing. The, there is, I mean, he's going to be going to Tokyo to co- commentate the uh, uh, some of the, the Olympic games, uh, soccer games for NBC. Uh, and then, of course, um, 
the the Premier League season starts back up again in August. Um, so it won't be a full time uh, job. There'll be another commentator filling in um, for when he's not available. But uh, but no, I think Arlo going to Chicago is a good f- fit for him. Last but not least, Kartik, this is the last news item, but th- this is a huge one that has huge ramifications, as as did the coronavirus, or ha- as it does, is that the Premier League and the uh, English Football League are discussing uh, getting rid of the, uh, the the blackout window. So in, in the UK, the, the three, uh, 3 o'clock until I think it's 5.15 uh, UK time, there's a blackout window where no soccer at all uh, from anywhere around the world, uh, especially local you know, British soccer, uh, cannot be uh, televised or shown uh, in the United Kingdom. And, and the reason the, this was done was really to make sure that television didn't impact uh, match attendances. And uh, we're at a time right now, Kartik, where that could change. There's been discussion about going ahead and temporarily getting rid of this blackout window uh, in order to allow fans to go ahead and watch games uh, through TV, and um, and if they're not able to go to the games, if it's a, I mean, whether it's a behind closed doors game or if it's uh, uh, a club or a league saying that uh, we're we're trying to limit the number of people going to games, this could change the entire soccer industry in the UK. What are you hearing on this one, Kartik? Yeah, I, I'm hearing. Um a fair amount, a lot flying the last few days. And again, this might be dated. There might be an announcement by the time we, uh, you, you were listening to this podcast. I'm, I'm hearing that this is the major bone of contention in rolling out something with potential government involvement in the rest of the season in the football league and the premier league in terms of coronavirus. So two things. One, um, if you close, if you play matches behind closed doors, how do season ticket holders access seeing those matches if the matches are blacked out in that window, the three to five fifteen window? Two, Sky and BT Sport don't necessarily—they're not as accessible as channels are in the United States, for instance. So, uh, and again, we we. Chris, we talk about this a lot on this show, and I think a lot in the U.S. audience don't know how difficult it is to, to access Premier League games in, in the U.K. Um, so what is done about that? Will there be um, matches streamed on club websites, and, and will there be a, a, a uh, an authentication uh, required that says, hey, I'm a uh, Manchester City season ticket holder. I'm going to the MCFC, to the city website, uh, so I can watch the match uh, at Eastlands against whomever because it's closed doors. So that's being discussed. But the 3 to 5.15 window seems to be the biggest um, bone of contention, Chris, and what to do about that if you if you start playing matches behind closed doors. Does that mean you start broadcasting immediately, uh, starting potentially as early as this weekend or maybe next weekend, more realistically, in the UK, given that there is a prohibition on that? Is this an extenuating circumstances stance where you lift that, uh, that, that uh, 3 o'clock kickoff uh, broadcast ban? And if that's the case, do you just extend that into the future and to the, into the next TV, uh, set of TV contracts? So um, a lot about the future of British football or English football, excuse me, on television may be determined in the next week just based on the reaction to coronavirus because it seems like some precedents that we've had in place might get overturned. And they're the same precedents that people have called for to be overturned for, for a number of years. So I have two big issues with this, Kartik. The first issue is uh, technological. 
I'm not confident that even if the Premier League said, okay, we're suspending, well, actually, we're going to play games behind closed doors uh, for the next, uh, say, three weeks, for example. I am not confident that uh, they could actually pull that off. And, and if they say, okay, these games, I mean, if, if they stream any, any of these games, so those games would it'd be better fit for them to go ahead and have that on television. So where they, they're you know, experts at broadcasting soccer on television and uh, whether it's on the BBC or ITV, uh, having those games available for uh, soccer fans to watch. Again, I'm against it in terms of just... Uh, it's not the same, inter- but again, it's, it's a league decision of what they decide to do. Uh, if they stream the games, I mean, they're not set up to do that. They, they don't have the experience in, in having you know, 50,000 people, 100,000 people or more. I mean, or we might be talking about uh, close to a million people hitting a website at the same exact time or hitting an app at the same exact time to watch a game. So they would have to partner with some of the streaming providers out there, maybe the Amazon, uh, Amazons of the world or other, or other broadcasters to make sure that, that it's not a uh, technological disaster where fans are wanting to watch the games and they just can't because you know, the, the site crashes or whatever it may be. The second big issue I have with this Kartik is that it could be no turning back. If they decide to go down this path and say, okay, we're going to make these games available uh, during that blackout window, we're going to have those games on television, uh, behind closed doors, and and or available through streaming too. Is it sets a precedent? Fans, who knows how long this uh, ish, this virus is going to happen? Uh, continue. It could set a precedent where fans get used to watching these games through TV and or streaming. And once the the virus the virus uh, is over, the the issue is con- over. We're back to normal is at that time, people might say like, well, why can't I continue to watch these games on television? Why can't I continue to be able to stream these games if I want to? And yes, there'll be enough people to go to the games to have the attendances be be full match attendances. But why am I uh, not allowed to watch these games uh, as I've done in the past? So this really could change the whole English soccer platform i mean effectively uh this has huge ramifications across the entire industry just as the coronavirus could have huge uh implications on major league soccer i can't take this move on to tv ratings um we have a new world record we have a new record for the most watched premier league match live on u.s television ever and that was Manchester United against Manchester City this past weekend. It was on Sunday on NBC, uh, also on Telemundo and uh, digital. And then combined, that, that number, the average viewing number for, for those broadcasts was 1.76 million, uh, which was greater than the previous record, which was, I think, 1.72 million, again, for a Manchester, Manchester derby and was greater than um, Fox's record for Liverpool against Chelsea, which was on tape delay, and that was, I think, 1.64 million. So a brand new record. Um, To me, Kartik, I think I owe... I'd say there was two factors in why this was such a a huge number. One is that the game was on NBC instead of NBCSN on a Sunday at 12.30, so they took advantage of the the time change uh, to have the game an hour later when there's more people watching... 
And, and the second thing is, I think it's a resurgence with Manchester United and more a belief in that club that you know, fans are t- tuning back in. Of course, this is a big game anyway, but fans are tuning back in and feel more confident right now about United and, and uh, maybe for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that this is a, a important bump for uh, for NBC because even though United uh, qualified for the Champions League a couple times under Van Hall and Mourinho, there was just a, a a bad feeling, a bad vibe around the club. NBC took over the Premier League rights the year Man- uh, Ferguson, the year after Ferguson had retired, and Manchester United has not been the same since. I think Solskjaer, even if they finish fifth or sixth this year, there is a there's a different feeling around that club, and Manchester United fans are, are excited. Uh, Manchester United fans in the States are excited, and I think uh, it's a good time for NBC because United under Solskjaer, legend at the club, and um, Chelsea under Lampard, legend at the club. Both clubs are on the up. Both clubs have a nice young core they've developed and could be competing uh, for Premier League titles uh, as early as next season, potentially, both, both those clubs. So I think this is very big news. Uh, for NBC and reflective, the rating from this week is reflective of that, that resurgence of Manchester United. Yeah, and you have to wonder too, again, with the coronavirus and, and more people having to be enforced to work from home, I mean, and, and uh, telecommuting is whether that will actually help increase the viewing figures for games where, you mean, the, the crowd is there and the game is on and it's a big game. So, for example, Monday's game, Liverpool against Everton, um, potentially, I mean, depending on what City does this weekend, uh, that could be an opportunity for Liverpool to win the title on Monday on a mid-afternoon game in the US where mostly people are working in the offices, but maybe there'll be a lot more people at home. Uh, Pumas against America, Club America and Liga MX. Uh, this was on uh, Friday night. This one had another, uh, this had a big uh, viewing number too. It was 1.6 million people watched this game uh, on Univision and Tuduene. Uh, huge number there. So both with the Premier League and uh, the Manchester Derby and then the Pumas against America Derby too. Uh, big numbers there. Elsewhere, we look at the second week of Major League Soccer and um all of the numbers are not available yet, so we don't know what that DC United uh, into Miami number was on Univision and Tuduene. We will get that in the next 24 to 48 hours, and we'll post that at worldsoccertalk.com. But the other uh, MLS games that we did see in terms of numbers, we had uh, the biggest number uh, as available right as of the moment was uh, 399,000 viewers for Portland against Nashville on ESPN on Sunday, which... Um, Looking back at the 2019 season in Major League Soccer, that definitely is an increase from the average that uh, ESPN had on MLS last season. So positive numbers there. And then we have um, LAFC against Philadelphia Union on FS1 on Sunday night. And this game was uh, on Fox, uh, FS1 and Fox Deportes. Those two numbers combined was uh, 236,000 viewers for that. So... That was hurt really by the late kickoff, 10.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time uh, for the 3-3 game. Um, but um, yeah, FS1, it still struggles with those late Sunday night broadcasts in terms of viewing numbers. Kartik, moving on to listen to the mailbag. Uh, Rico Richardson says, I don't think promotion relegation could really work from a American TV perspective. A team like Charleston Battery in Major League Soccer probably wouldn't bring bring big numbers nationally compared to a Charlotte. And 
while I understand, okay. I understand where, you, nice where it's coming from. But, but to me, to me, it's not about the TV market. TV market is important, especially in the United States, definitely. Um, but we, as we've seen with the New York TV market for Major League Soccer, has been weak. Um, the LA market for, for MLS has been weak. These are t- the, the two biggest metropolitan cities in the United States. And if you look at the Premier League, if you have a, I don't know, a Bournemouth or a Sheffield United, we've seen games between Bournemouth and Sheffield United, which probably have two of the smaller, or smallest uh, fan bases in the United States. And they've had greater viewing numbers for games featuring the Bournemouth against, uh, I think, Sheffield United than for a lot of Major League Soccer games. So it's not... And obviously, these viewers uh, in the United States are not from Sheffield and they're not from Bournemouth. So I think it's more of a U.S. thing in terms of the markets. But then there's no guarantee that that's, that number is going to be big because of the market they're in. I think promotion relegation helps. But um, I don't know. Anyways, I, I don't agree with uh, Rico's uh, comment there, Kartik. I don't know if you uh, disagree either. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think there's some truth to that, which has been generally the case against promotion and relegation from uh, people pushing back in this country, which is, oh, what happens if L.A. versus New York is in the second division and you have Charleston versus Rochester in the first division? But I think uh, TV numbers adjust, and I think as, as time goes on, you see – the, even in uh, even in, in in the mainstream American sports, I mean the uh, the teams that have the biggest followings aren't necessarily from the biggest TV markets. So the Green Bay Packers have arguably the biggest following among any NFL team. I, I don't have hard data to back that up, but that's just my mm-hmm. intuition because I don't really follow the NFL. I don't follow the NFL. Uh, that's uh, clearly not a very big market, right? Television market. And, and then I think, I think you could keep going uh, with that in, in, in other sports. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I know for years, the St. Louis Cardinals had one of the biggest followings I could, uh, I could uh, find in terms of baseball teams. Now there's a lot of history behind that, uh, that, that particular MLB franchise, national league franchise, but that's not a big TV market. So I think there are exceptions to this, um, and also want to point out that I think if you have an up and down pro rail system, you will probably have more teams that are in big markets in the lower divisions than you do now that, that, that are well funded, that are well financed. And also would mention that we have more big markets, more dispersed metropolitan populations in the United States than we do anywhere in, uh, than they do anywhere in Western Europe other think, than maybe Germany. So, so we, th- there are a lot of, lot of cities that could support a first division team that don't have a first division team here. That's not necessarily the case in Europe where ProRail does work. I would look at an example such as Leicester City. I mean, Leicester City without promotion relegation would not be in the Premier League. Uh, Leicester City went ahead and, and won the Premier League. Uh, incredible season, just so... So such a inspiring uh, display that season to win it. Um, yet Leicester is not a big city in the United Kingdom, um, but I'm sure U.S. wise too, and globally and in England, viewing figures for Leicester City games were way way up. Um, not because they were from the size of the city, not because of. I mean, it's because they played good football and they had been promoted over. I mean, a period of years to get into the Premier League and, and were entertaining. To, I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's all about entertainment. And promotion relegation does enhance in- entertainment. 
Uh, it makes it more exciting. It makes it more of a reason to tune in into games, even if it's clubs near the bottom. Uh, and the city size does not uh, isn't should not be as big of an impact on those numbers at the end of the day. Yes, it will have an influence, but it is not is not the only reason. Next up is Robert. Robert says the MLS games uh, in the first week were very competitive, no big blowouts. This could make for an exciting season. It is not true that almost all teams make the playoffs. It's about half. Is that worse than having more than half the teams in the Premier League be forever in the bottom half? The setup in the US is and will continue to be different than Europe. All sports here have playoffs, so why not let that fact alone? So, Kartik, why do sports, why, why, why does MLS have playoffs? Um, because that's the American way, I guess. Uh, and I, I think the other thing is that because they now have so many teams, they can't balance their schedule, right? And, and you'll play teams in your conference three times, and you'll play teams in the other conference once. Now, now, actually, starting this year, you may not even play them at all. So that's that's the case for playoffs. But I think initially, when you had 10 or 12 teams, you could have much more easily balanced the schedule and had a, a single table. Um, this having been said, I have some sympathy for the playoff argument in, in, in the unbalanced schedule in Major League Soccer because I think, one, you want to develop more local rivalry. So you want teams geographically closer to one another playing each other more. And two, uh, I, I think the travel is uh, prohibitive in MLS. I think it affects the level of play. There, there are a lot of factors, I think, critics of MLS, uh, particularly Eurocentric critics, uh, whether they're in Europe or they're in the U.S., they're Eurocentric, don't understand, which is uh, playing through the summer. Is the hottest months of the year affects quality of play, and the, le- the amount of travel in MLS affects the level of play. Uh, all things being equal, if MLS was played in, in England, I don't know how it would look. It might look a lot better than it does uh, as a television product. So, uh, But that's the reason they had playoffs to begin with. Well, and, and going back to that question about why does Major League Soccer even have playoffs, and, and you're right, Kartik, it, it is because it's a traditional American model. I, I think really, I mean, especially when Major League Soccer launched uh, back in the the late '90s, it was. I mean, even the name MLS is very similar to MLB. It's a very uh, American centric uh, setup in terms of the way that it's run. It's very similar to the NFL model. But to me, I mean, one of the reasons they probably had playoffs in the very beginning was because it's easier to sell to the TV broadcasters. So when they go into a meeting, this is going back in the '90s, late '90s, going into a meeting with ABC executives um, who may not have known soccer that well or known kind of the intricacies of, of soccer, it would have been much easier for Major League Soccer to say, hey, here's what we're recommending. Here's what we're thinking. We're thinking about having uh, you know, a regular season, just like, just like uh, Major League Baseball, and then we're going to have the playoffs. And not only do we have the playoffs, but we're, we're going to have the World Series of soccer, soccer and we're going to call it the MLS Cup and and this, and, and so for for a TV broadcaster, um, that is something that you know it sounds familiar. It sounds like it would work. Why wouldn't it work? That model to me is is flawed because it is one of those things that why then do you tune in to watch a regular season for the most part? Yes, there's going to be some interesting games, interesting matchups, but it takes the focus away from the regular season and puts it on uh, the the actual playoffs. Which, which would be okay to a certain extent, except that the playoffs are played during the season when the part of the season when 
college football and NFL football are starting to heat up. And so then for the the vast majority of American sports fans, uh, they're distracted. It's it's hard to focus in on the soccer as much as they did during the spring or summer. Now that that uh, it's heating up for the World Series and then you've got the NFL and college football getting ready to start up or playing games. So so to me, the, the calendar is a big factor in, in, in limiting Major League Soccer's ability to be more successful. Uh, but, but that's why I think this playoffs is because it was something that was comfortable. It was something that was familiar. It was something that um, even didn't require much thought. Let's just copy a model used in other sports in America and, and then see if that works. Last but not least, uh, Shane Rowe says, and this is a good one for you, Kartik, uh, comment for your next podcast. Is it any coincidence that it's only the Bundesliga uh, who have educational videos with narration on technique and tactics of individual clubs in the league on its YouTube channel? In fact, it has teamed up with Tifo Football to produce some videos. The other top four leagues don't. They only show highlight reels and sensational plays with music. Does it have something to do with German football philosophy? That's a really good question because I, I've watched those videos. I'm a subscriber to TIFO Football. Actually, the second they have a video that comes out, I generally watch it within the next day or two. So uh, I've enjoyed these, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that no one else does them. No other leagues do them. So, Shane, thank you very much for pointing that out. Uh, I think it probably does have something to do with German football philosophy and why they're always kind of on the cutting edge of things in terms of uh, playing style, uh, in terms of uh, nutrition, in terms of also the way they present the sport. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've been watching those videos but had not actually thought that no one else is doing them. Because it, But that's true. No one else is doing them. Yeah, and going back to Shane's question, I would say that, say, the Premier League is one example, is definitely more of a marketing machine where it's more of the hype factor and more the uh, the clips and showing the goal highlights and, and you mean the soap opera and those things that are more interesting to, say, uh, the mainstream soccer fan. While I would argue that for the Bundesliga, it's very much a, a purist uh, football league in terms of football as it's meant to be, which is the Bundesliga slogan, uh, which is very focused on on that side of things in terms of more the technical side, uh, similar to La Liga in many ways. Um, and, and that's probably why that the German league is looking at doing more of those focused videos on the hardcore of the hardcore Um not to say that the Premier League doesn't have hardcore fans either, but it's different. It's a different style that the Bundesliga has um, than the Premier League. And not to say one's better than the other, but they are very, very different. Good comment there, Shane Rowe. And Shane gets our letter of the week in terms of uh, the listener mailbag there. So we want you to have your say. Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, you and I, um, no matter what happens, knock on wood, hopefully, <laughs> with the coronavirus and everything that's happening in the world of soccer, we will be back here every week talking about what's happening, uh, talking about uh, how things are affecting the TV broadcast industry and the streaming industry, um, even if there are no games on or even if there are games uh, played behind closed doors. Uh, you and I will, of course, be watching as much soccer as we can possibly. And if there's no soccer on, I'm sure there's a lot of um, 
television coverage, soccer documentaries, uh, YouTube videos, and there's so much content out there that's really good. Uh, speaking of content, too, uh, coming up, uh, actually, well, this week's uh, The Heart of the Game podcast that came out on Monday had an interview with uh, Peter Drury, and Peter hardly ever does any interviews and is not on social media. And Nate uh, Abarea had a really good discussion there with uh, Peter. Um, and coming up next week, we have an interview with someone that I know that Kartik, you appreciate a lot and value in terms of his commentary and presenting skills, and that is Ian Joy. Yeah, uh, one of my favorites and, and one of the real pioneers for American broadcasters now uh, being picked up, uh, doing some matches with the World Feed for the Bundesliga and someone who's done actually a tremendous job uh, with New York City FC also. I think a lot of our listeners may not, they're aware of his work at BN and, and at Fox, uh, but they may not be aware that he actually uh, calls NYCFC games also in the largest TV market in, in the United States. Yeah, and uh, he will have some interesting things to say uh, in this podcast that's coming out uh, on Monday. Uh, some things that um, I didn't know about and, and probably a lot of other uh, listeners didn't know about either. So some really, really interesting comments that he has that he's going to share in the next interview. So thank you for listening. You can get uh, a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on all of the different uh, podcast players available, as well as worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it, whether it's positive, negative or indifferent. We'd love to get your feedback there. And Kartik, heading into another week of football, which might be uncertain week of football. We don't know yet. Um, but hopefully everyone makes the right decisions. Hopefully everyone stays safe. Hopefully everyone's washing their hands and uh, reducing uh, contact and being as safe as possible. And just, you mean, be, being smart, staying at home and, uh, you mean, hopefully watching a lot of soccer on television. Uh, other than that, Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football.